I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters Legal Podcast. This week on the show, we're taking a look back at some of the key themes, topics, and moments from our first 70 episodes. Each episode focuses on a different topic playing a central role in the future of the profession. Today, we're examining a variety of perspectives on mental wellness and legal, which has become even more important as a result of the pandemic. From dealing with stress, anxiety, or substance abuse, to managing yourself better and practicing mindfulness, there are lots of ways to protect your overall well-being during this time. From episode 36, Natalie Archibald, Interim VP of People at Clio. So Natalie, one of the things you've, you've talked about internally and one of the reasons I thought it'd be great to, to have you on during Mental Health Week to, to speak to is this, this concept you've shared called the loss of our assumptive world and that, that being a result of the, the trauma we're feeling from the, the COVID-19 crisis. Can you walk us through what this this term around losing our assumptive world means and and, and how it's translating to impacts on on people? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I heard this concept first um, a number of years ago now when I was completing some additional training in grief counseling. And really, when you think about it, um, what we as a culture are experiencing right now is this sense of collective grief, like everything as we knew it um, is lost. And grief is not just, you know, defined by, um, you know, a, a death or like a physical loss, but just a loss in general of anything that is meaningful to uh, a person. And for us, that includes, you know, the way we did business, the way we lived our lives, our ability to socialize, our ability to engage in the world um, in the ways that we previously did. And um, there was an excellent HBR article on this collective grief through COVID. And I was reminded of this concept, which is essentially this psychological principle that describes um, the experience of a traumatic change or event and how that can change how we as a culture or as an individual view ourselves in the world. So these events really shake the bedrock of our lives and the strongly held assumptions we have of the world impact our decisions, how we behave, how we plan our lives, and how we view ourselves and our concept of self-worth. So um, we saw this, you know, a really obvious large-scale example that sort of parallels this one in nature is really 9-11. And um, we're seeing it now. And so uh, it's really interesting to see um, how we as a culture, when we go through this or experience this loss of our assumptive world or the assumptions that we rely on in order to engage in our lives in a meaningful way, how do we bounce back from that? And how do we, um, how do we put one foot in front of the other and redefine everything that uh, we, we previously relied on as a truth that, that is no longer there? From episode 35, Gina Cho. Mindfulness Educator at The Resilient Lawyer. Uh, Transitioning now to your mindfulness and wellness practice, uh, we know that COVID-19 is going to have a massive impact on on everyone, uh, especially lawyers who are are known to already wrestle with mental health issues. Can you talk a little bit about what impacts you're seeing on mental health in legal uh, immediately, uh, what the present landscape looks like, and what you see coming down the pike in the next few months? Yeah, I do a lot of webinars for lawyers and people in the legal community and just a lot of the sense that I get, which I think is 
probably shared by, you know, all of us is the sense of, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know whether I'm going to have a job. I don't know whether I'm going to have a continuing paycheck. You know, I'm seeing a lot of lawyers experience um, furloughs or even pay cuts. You know, there's been a few number of law firms that's just issued pay cuts across the um, firm. Um, and then, of course, the solos and the small um, you know, law firms, depending on your practice area, are also struggling. And I think because lawyers are sort of hardwired to think of the worst case scenarios, right? Like when clients come to us, that's what they're literally paying us to do is to give them all the different range of possibilities. And we get paid to think of the absolute worst case scenario. And we have that tendency to do that. And so, you know, I catch myself doing that where my mind goes into this like what if game, you know, and like the what if always sort of ends up in, oh my gosh, we're going to be homeless. <laughs> and you know, that type of thinking doesn't really um, lend itself to having a good healthy mindset or, um, you know, good um, mental health. Um, I'm definitely seeing, a, you know, it's a peak in um, stress and anxiety. And then of course, there's just sort of a lack of people who are able to provide mental health um, services right now, set therapies and counseling. And, you know, and I guess a lot of therapists are now transitioning to online, but then there's also sort of the stigma in going and getting therapy too. So I think it's multifaceted and um, definitely challenging times. Yeah, absolutely. And in, from the perspective you have, what, what do you, what concerns you most about the, the patterns you're seeing and the, uh, the folks you're talking to in these webinars and maybe on a one-on-one -on -one basis as well? Um, you know, the population that I'm more concerned about are perhaps um, lawyers who, uh, you know, have some sort of a, um, a struggle with some sort of substance or alcohol, um, mm -hmm. you know, who may be on a, a path to recovery. Um, but then, of course, you know, we're all isolated. And so I think just that likelihood of reaching for those tools that, you know, we know aren't effective, but it, we tend to sort of do those things. Right. Um, and then, you know, lawyers who also struggle with depression, we know that one of the factors um, that put you at risk for depression is just isolation and that sense of aloneness. So I feel like, you know, this is like the perfect storm where we're all isolated and we don't necessarily have the support that we once did. We don't have our colleagues, we don't have, you know, contact with our friends or even our family. So I think it puts us more at risk for a lot of these mental health issues that you know, lawyers are very prone to struggling with. From episode 37, yeah, Brian Cuban, author and speaker. Right on that. And the, the legal profession, especially you've spoken about this quite a bit, but I'd love for you to, to talk about a, a, on the show here. The legal profession already has struggles with, with predominant or much higher rates of mental uh, health issues, of depression, of suicide, of substance abuse issues. Um, and, and this pandemic is not doing anything to, uh, to, to help that. C can you talk a little bit about what the landscape looked like for lawyers pre-COVID-19 and maybe what sure. additional stressors you think are layering in here? Sure, from the problems drinking standpoint, alcohol use disorder, alcoholic, uh, we had, uh, we had a, we have, according to the ABA, Betty Ford Hazelton study, which uh, a lot of people know about and a lot of people don't. Did you know about it? Uh, because of your podcast. Uh, there you go. See? A year ago, I know about it. I do. Yep. Yeah. So it's, uh, but uh, it found that uh, it was uh, going on about three years ago now. Uh, we have uh, overall of the licensed attorneys, about a 20 to 21% 
problem drinking rate. So if you want to put it in the vernacular, 20 to 21% of licensed attorneys would be alcoholics. We have an extremely high depression rate, a very high anxiety rate, and these are all exponentially greater than the norm. It's To put it in perspective, it was a few years ago I read a CNN article that said uh, that talked about the overall drinking rate, the overall quote unquote problem drinking alcoholic rate in the US. And they said it was about 11, 10 or 11%. And so look at our profession, 21, 20%, 21%. And if you are a millennial lawyer, and I use that as an age demographic versus any kind of label other than that, lawyers, I believe it was under 10 years of practice. The problem drinking rate goes over 30%. And if you are a female lawyer, it's even higher. Interesting. So we are a, the, the article said we are a nation in crisis from a drinking standpoint. Well, what are we in the legal, uh, what are we from, from a legal standpoint with those numbers? And if you look at the uh, ALM survey that was done just uh, six months ago, uh, these lawyers who considered suicide uh, were, it was like 18, it was about 18%. It was and we have the fourth highest suicide rate overall of, of professions. And it seems like every other month I'm reading about a colleague who has tragically died by suicide. And so if we take it- So a, a, a grim landscape to begin with. It's a grim landscape to begin with. And you can only expect the landscape to get bleaker when we are into social isolation. We are into layoffs and big law. We are into law firms, law, uh, solo practitioners, no longer able to sustain their practices. And so it, the, the landscape gets even bleaker. And I have a feeling when the data is looked at post-COVID, and somebody's going to look at this data, obviously, uh, we are going to see these rates off the charts. And so that's why you see, obviously, the explosion of uh, – Law firms and lawyers all, all talking about mindfulness and things we can do. And I'm, I'm, I'm among those lawyers as well, trying to talk about ways we can uh, create a compassionate community so we can support each other. And that's very important because uh, we are physically distanced and touch is important. Physical closeness is important. And so certain people may only get so much from the ability to zoom or they may not want to zoom or it may not help them at all. So we have to find ways to deal with this. And I'm not expecting good things when we come out of this in the way uh, that landscape looks, but we will find ways to, uh, to move forward. We have done the things we can from what I've seen in the legal profession in terms of uh, offering the ability for people to connect uh, in the best way we can. So we'll see how it shapes out going forward. From episode 34, Paula Davis-Lack, founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute. So in, in the work you've done, you've, you've worked with major organizations, including Walgreens, Harvard Law School, uh, Coca-Cola, the, mm -hmm. the U.S. Army, among many others. Mm -hmm. you, you've worked with a real diversity of, of companies and, and entities. Um, you know, first of all, in the, in the work you've done, I, I assume you haven't encountered an organization facing the kinds of challenges that, that COVID-19 does? No. I mean, and I was thinking about this and thinking that really the 
I think the the closest thing I've seen to kind of this intensity in terms of a swirl of stressors was really from my military work, um, because when I when I was doing the work with with the army in particular, which was from 2011 to about 2014, they were still in such a high op tempo with all of the uh, with all of the things in the wars going on in Afghanistan and Iraq and and just you know dealing with dealing with all of that, um, and so there was a lot of intensity about. Um, you know, the challenges that the soldiers were facing and that they were bringing to the training and what have you. Mm -hmm. But, but this is so different. I mean, I mean, the military is in the business of people, as the soldiers would say, but we think about the military as kind of being in the business of war. And so that's kind of what they do. I feel like this is not something, this, this has nothing to do with what we do, this COVID crisis. This is completely upended really every aspect of how we think about working, about thinking about our health. Um, there's just not a facet that's almost untouched. And so... So no, it's it's been very unique and different. And let's talk a little bit more about law firms. You, you talked about one one anecdote from working with a, a law firm client. You you work obviously with a, a large diversity of clients uh, from different industries, different spaces. And I'm I'm curious what you see around lawyers in particular, and 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 maybe some of their challenges with respect to both burnout and and resilience. Yeah, so I um one of one of my favorite aspects of my my work has really started to develop just within the last 6 months or so. So what I started to do with some of my um, longer term law firm clients is that I wanted to pilot some workshop or pilot some um, coaching, some one-on-one -on -one coaching after my workshops because I felt okay. like and what I was hearing from lawyers is like this is great, you know, these workshops are a great first start, but it they're not addressing like specifically what I'm going through. And that's impossible for me to do in 90 minutes to try and, you know, tackle what or think about what all of the breadth of challenges they're going through. And so what it's really allowed me to do is hear very, very in-depth and keenly some of the really, really specific and tough challenges that lawyers are um, facing right now. And I, I kind of cluster them into four different buckets. So first and foremost, we talk a lot about stress. We talk a lot about burnout, the 24-7, always on pace. I can't predict my schedule. And so that makes it hard to, you know, go to my cousin's wedding and have fun and enjoy it without like constantly being on my phone. Um, we talk a lot about that. We talk about, it's a bucket I, I still don't know quite know what to call. I call it leadership, but um, it's, I don't know what's expected of me. I don't know exactly if I'm on the right track. I don't get a lot of feedback. And I hear this from both associates and partners. So this isn't just a young associate thing. I'm, he I'm hearing this across the board. Um, and then a lot about connection. Um, I don't feel like I'm very connected to colleagues. I'm worried about you know maintaining a relationship with my significant other and my kids and being in such a high pressure environment, trying to square all of that together. Then a lot about culture. I mean, lawyers are not shy about talking about um, the cultural aspects, again, sort of back to our initial you know, questions right. that play into all of these factors um, that we end up having our deeper discussions about, so. You talked a bit about burnout, but I'd, I'd love to dig there for, for a minute, just because sure. it's such, I, I think, an important topic and, and misunderstood as well. I think there's so many definitions mm -hmm. of what burnout is, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what yours is. How do you think about burnout? I think you made an important point that sometimes you see it as more of an organizational mm -hmm. level thing than an individual thing, and maybe you can talk about what it looks like at, at both levels. 
sure. Uh, so this is a this is an issue that I deal with a lot with this topic because we use the term burnout really loosely in our society. Yeah. We use the term the term burnout almost as a replacement for stress. Like I've had a really stressful day. I'm just so burned out. Um, yeah. But really, it's the or it's the, alternately as as being tired. You know, just yes. sometimes the feeling of yes. putting in a, a good day's work and and being tired from that effort yes. in the same way that you feel tired after a, a good physical workout. Totally. I, I hear being described as burnout as well. And totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's hard, you know, when you don't have that clear language. And so that's part of what I try to do. And um, I try to follow the research as closely as possible when it comes to defining um, burnout for folks. And it's really just the manifestation of chronic workplace stress. So the key word with burnout is chronic. So you don't wake up one day and just say, woo, I'm burned out, right? It's, it's not this sort of temporary, you know, one day I'm just like, wow, I, I kind of have this. This is over time. Um, this is something that's been happening. And the research is very clear that there's three really big dimensions or components to it. Um, the first one is chronic, again, physical and emotional exhaustion. So not just have, we all have tired, busy days, weeks, months, and that doesn't necessarily mean burnout. It's this feeling like over time, I just can't recover the way that I used to. And I noticed that with myself. I mean, that's what launched me into this whole second career was that I practiced law for seven years and burned out during what became the last year of my law practice. I'm like, I'm going to go back and study this and right. help other people figure this out because it was such a bad problem for me. And I really was in a bad spot for a while. Um, so, so there's that piece of the puzzle, again, over a period of time. The second big warning sign or dimension is that um, there's this sense of chronic cynicism. So everyone and everything just starts to bug you and rub you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I talk about, you know, I would go into the office and I'd say hi to everybody and I'd like beeline it right for my office, shut the door and just hope and pray that nobody bothered me for as long as possible. And that also included my clients. And so outwardly, of course, I was very you know, very uh, responsible and collegial and, and all of that. But internally, I remember a lot of times just this sense of like eye rolling, like, do we really have to talk about this? Like, can't right. you figure this out on your own? And no, that's not the way to approach people who are coming to you with sophisticated challenges. And the problem with the cynicism is that it makes you less empathetic. It causes you to detach from kind of caring about the people who you're tasked to help. And that's a big problem. Um, and then the last dimension is a sense of inefficacy is what the research calls it. So I call it the why bother, who cares? Like, why are we having this conversation? You're not going to listen to my advice anyway. So why bother? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Um, kind of a thing. And it's that swirl that kind of comes together into what we know burnout to be. From episode 30, Allison Wolf, lawyer coach at ShiftWorks. For our discussion. Um, when you're looking at your base of, of clients, what what do you see as some of the traits of what what leadership looks like and what great leadership looks like in this crisis? And I, I think many of our listeners, either in their their law firm uh, situation or or even their home situation, need to be leaders to their uh, to their employees, to their partners, to their families, and and being a leader in such an uncertain time is especially hard. Uh, do, you, do you have some thoughts on that or some some insights that that might be beneficial? So I, I do have some thoughts. Um, we're seeing all kinds of examples of leadership right now. And I'm going to intentionally not go down that path, but talk about like, what does, what's the best kind of leadership in this time? And 
I think one of the very important pieces, and it's just this quote that I heard, which is be, you know, be very aware of the energy you bring into the room, mm-hmm. right? And as leaders, whether it's a leader, a kind of a leadership role in your team or with your colleagues or in your family, I think being, as leaders right now, we have to be very aware of how are we showing up? Um, and what's the message like, how are we, what's the energy we're bringing to our discussions with our, with our firms, with our right. organizations, right? And by that, I mean, you know, you're gonna be stressed like everybody else, but it's very, very important, just like for me as a coach, to be able to engage in some of the own, my own practices for my own well-being, so that when I show up for my clients or a leader shows up for their team, um, and their organization, they're bringing their, their calm best self to the table. They're modeling, they're modeling um, a, a positive frame of mind. They're mod- modeling, they're bringing forward a positive energy as opposed to um, kind of a shaken or disturbed energy. And it doesn't mean that you can't be transparent and come into the room and, t- and with a positive energy and talk about the fact that, you know what, I had to do, I had to meditate for about 15 minutes today to kind of get myself back down to the ground, right? So I could be kind of have my feet on the ground again. That, that's transparency. That's, we're not saying that you have to pretend that you don't, you don't feel it, you don't, you don't get shaken. But when you're, in, you're, when you're gonna be engaging with people, you're gonna be engaging with your organization, with your team, you, gotta, you, you, you really gotta do the personal work to bring that, that, that calm leader to, to, and that presence to the room. It's, it's vital. Um, one of the things that I've been seeing happening, and it's something to be aware of, it's very important. Um, I was in a conversation with Bina Stock the other day. She's a counselor, a lawyer, and uh, she was a former health law lawyer in Vancouver. She's now a counselor. And we were talking about stress. And it's very interesting because as stress levels go up, judgment goes down. So right. the more stressed you are, the lower your judgment. And here's the thing. You're impaired and you don't know it. It's kind of like being a drunk driver. You know, hey, I can drive. Give me the keys. Well, I can lead this organization. I'm freaked out and stressed out, but I can lead. I'm a leader. Yeah, take the keys away, right? Right. Decisions you make when you're under stress are likely to be not great because you're not actually in your smart brain. You're back here in your amygdala. So back to that point, (laughs) be aware. Self-awareness for leaders right now. Where am I at? What's going on? What am I experiencing? What emotions am I feeling? Am I in a, am I being triggered right now? Am I being, you know, am I experiencing an amygdala hijack? All right, let me do some breathing, get myself down to ground and, you know, reset with a little bit of a parasympathetic reset through some slow, deep breaths. And then, okay, I'm back. These are things that are really important. And when I look around at law firms today, you know, I see some great decision-making and not to point fingers, but I can see some decision making that sure looks like it was made in a stress, in a, in a high right. level of stress. From episode 36, Natalie Archibald, Interim VP of People at Clayton is Crisis. And, and, and given, you know, this perspective that you're offering, which is one that, you know, we're collectively suffering through this enormous trauma and, and, and grieving in some way for all the things we've we've lost what what advice do you have for organizational leaders these might be our listeners that are our bar leaders or maybe law firm leaders uh, or just anyone who's running a team that might be impacted or likely is impacted in some way at a psychological level by COVID-19 what is some of your advice for uh, 
how to support your staff, how to lead them through this, uh, this period of transition and, and, and provide, you know, hopefully some kind of bedrock in, in a, a time of enormous uncertainty? It's a great question. I have, um, you know, there's no, there's no easy um, strategies here that I think are going to make the situation um, do a 180 for people. But I think that there are some really key foundational things that when you focus on them and do them well, it's really felt, it's really appreciated, and it makes a huge qualitative impact on, on people's experiences. So I've got a couple of um, kind of um, more emotional or relational kind of tips and then um, sort of one more practical one, which is really as a leader, um, thinking about things through the lens of providing as much stability as you can during this time. So controlling the controllable on behalf of your team and your organization. So whether that is through messaging, whether that is through, um, you know, redirecting people towards policies and practices that have not changed, that are supportive and in support of employees' experiences, um, really being clear about, um, about those things so that people can access the support they need. And I think as well, in terms of a, like a thought leadership perspective, providing stability through what you're focusing on in the business right now. So what are the ways that you need to pivot to ensure business continuity? Because ultimately coming to work and having a job is one of the ultimate forms of stability we can offer our team members right now. So, um, you know, I know in the legal industry um, and what we're passionate about at Clio is helping people make that um, move to the cloud and to move to a more distributed, um, technologically supported work environment. To me, that is a huge stabilizing gift that, uh, people in the legal industry can provide to their teams and uh, to lawyers that they work with. So that's sort of that st- stability piece mm-hmm. is huge. And then I think from a more um, interpersonal kind of perspective, I think that now is the time to be human and now is the time to be vulnerable. And those two things are, you know, in my opinion, very interrelated. So if you're a leader that typically isn't comfortable with, you know, self-disclosure or uh, being vulnerable or exhibiting what you might perceive as like a weakness or something that is personal. Now is the time when um, being more vocal about that and exhibiting that kind of leadership is going to go a long way with your team. Um, Because right now what people need is uh, normalization. So to know that what they're experiencing at home with like kids running around the background on Zoom calls and, you know, not feeling like you have Um, clearly defined compartments in your life and how you might be struggling with this is so important to hear. Episode 14, Terry DeMeo, Master Certified Coach. Um, So maybe this is a a new answer or maybe you just want to underline and underscore some of what you've spoken to previously. But what are some things that people in general and legal professionals in particular can do today to care for themselves and others? Well, start within, start with yourself, because um, I'll tell you a story that's interesting. Um, Horses are mammals like we Mm -hmm. are. And when horses live in the wild, they live in herds. They're prey animal. Um, They're attacked by cougars and whatnot. And so they group together And the leader of a pack of horses, a herd of horses, 
is the calmest matriarchal mare in the mm. herd. And it's got great implications for leadership. When that pack of horses, uh, when that mare gets spooked, the horses will look to the next calmest matriarchal mare and follow her out of the canyon or away from the mm. danger or whatever needs to be done. And I tell this story to a lot of clients because um, as mammals, we are also in a position where we can either get infected with the emotions of others or we can intend to be the calm leader of the pack mm -hmm. and so the more we can respond to an anxious client or an anxious family member from a place of calm the more likely we are to be able to manage them but in order to do that it requires the self-care of getting our own oxygen mask on first, getting to a place of calm. From episode 35, Gina Cho, mindfulness educator at The Resilient Lawyer. So for these bar association leaders and, and law firm leaders that may be listening, Gina, and in response to the last question, I heard a few things. I heard, you know, destigmatize. Uh, mental health issues and, and and be open and share out if you can as as leaders hold up you know examples of of great folks in your community highly accomplished folks um, that may also be wrestling with with mental health issues do do whatever have empathy and do whatever you can to to destigmatize mental health issues um, I heard a call to you know be more authentic and and to acknowledge the fact that you're you're human and actually lean into that. Um, I'm, I'm curious what else you see as, as being in the, the toolkit. Do you see training around mindfulness being a, a useful tool? How, how do you kind of put some of these actionable tools into the hands of your, uh, your members or, or your, your lawyers that are part of your organization or part of your law firm and, and put them into action? Yeah, I'm seeing law firms do meditation Mondays, uh, which I love. Um, oh, I think, you know, whatever practices you put into place, and of course, you know, I think meditation and mindfulness um, are very, very important tools. And, you know, every law firm and bar association should um, embrace it. But you know, I think whatever it is to do it sort of on a regular basis, like the biggest um, mistake that I see so many organizations make is to treat these activities is like a one-time check off to do your you know to-do list kind of thing and you, know, you can't just meditate once and say i've done it right. <laughs> um so it needs to be sort of an ongoing thing um you know I've, the one law firm that i'm working with they do weekly meditation classes but they also do weekly yoga sessions um there's like an internal wellness platform where people can share recipes they can you know send out kudos to people that was helpful to them, um, really kind of creating this sense of community um, and saying that, you know, the well-being of our community, the, the well-being of the people on our team actually matters. Um, encouraging people to come up with their own self-care strategy and sharing it, um, I think is also a really helpful tool. Um, and also just, you know, modeling, again, is really, really important. So if you're you know, the leader at the firm, you can't just say, well, 
you know, go meditate or go do yoga and not do those activities yourself. You know, if you're sort of burning the candle on both ends and working 70 hours, we can't just tell people like, oh, well, you should care about your, you know, mental right. well-being. Like, you actually have to model the behavior that you want your organization to embrace. So, Gina, I'm, I'm curious, and it could be this five, four, three, two, one practice, or, or or maybe something new if you've got something else in your uh, your quiver of tools there. But uh, would you be able to guide me and our our listeners through some mindfulness exercise right now that might take a, a minute or two? Sure. Yeah, let's do a two minute meditation um, exercise. And there's actually a researcher, Sean Ecker, who's done um, these studies where 21 days of two minutes of meditation practice is enough to see a lot of the benefits. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm going to just look at my time. So we'll do two minutes. Um, okay. And so let's just start by finding a comfortable seated position. So allowing your shoulders to drop perhaps unclenching your jaws, and when you feel ready, allow the eyes to close and soften. And taking a moment to notice the breath, so feeling the body breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out, and one more, breathing in, and breathing out. And just noticing whatever may be going on inside of you and around you, noticing sounds around you. And see if you can allow this experience to be exactly what it is without needing to change it or have it be different in any way. And as you breathe, see if you can allow the belly to soften. So taking nice deep breaths, engaging the diaphragm, breathing in and breathing out. And now let's close the practice by beginning to wiggle the fingers and toes, moving your body in any way that feels good to you. It can stretch if it feels good. And when you feel ready, allow the eyes to open. It's a two-minute practice right there. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com.